Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So we've had quite a week. Uh, starting over the weekend, we had a bunch of festivals. Now we've got Fourth of July coming up, and a bunch of stuff has happened in the news. So got kind of an exciting episode this time. Yeah, we had a pretty early morning to start our week Monday with the Granary chugging across the bridge again for the annual Granary Festival. Yeah, before we jump into that, I just wanted to pick up on some of the events that were going on over the weekend. Uh, sure. Wine Fest was this weekend. The Pacers had a hand in Wine Fest this year, so you were involved. How did it go? Yeah, uh, from all accounts that we heard, it went fantastic. We had a, we moved into a new location this year at Sunset Park in partnership with uh, our group, the Peninsula Pacers, and the Door County Wine Trail folks, which is a conglomerate, if you will, of the eight Door County wineries. And yeah, we had just had a great time. I know the year previous, they had done it in Martin Park, which is a really small space for the number of people they draw. And um, this year moved to Sunset Park, maybe one of the more underrated parks in the county. Just a beautiful spot next to the shipyards on the water and plenty of space to spread out. So yeah, I think uh, a lot of people, a lot of happy people um, and a beautiful sunny day, which is really makes the difference at all these events. Cool. Uncorked was also happening up towards the northern end of the peninsula. Heard that went really well, as always. Yeah, I was talking to John Nelson um, from Door Guide Publishing about that. He said they had a great, uh, great day, great turnout up there. Everything went fantastic. There's, uh, I wasn't able to make it this year, but in the past I've been there. It's always a great way to sample a bunch of different food and and meet a bunch of restaurateurs just uh, out in the the grounds of the Wickman House, which are just a beautiful spots. So. Right. So as you alluded to, uh, the Granary made its second annual trip across the bridge. <laughs> uh, big turnout, lots of fun. Yeah, they tried to do it in the summer this year to attract more people. Really didn't get that festival feeling that they were hoping for. But <laughs> yeah, uh, it was, I don't know, it was less exciting the second time around for me seeing it come over the bridge. It was really foggy as it was like coming across. So it almost looked like a horror movie in a way, which was kind of right. cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, made it over. No problems. Uh, now it's in I don't know if it's its final location, but it's in the property on the west side. Yeah, it's side. in the vicinity of where it will end up. Right. They uh, they brought it over, got going at like 5 in the morning, and then I think it made its way over the bridge by 9 o'clock. So it was in the west waterfront property by 9 o'clock. Yeah, and one thing I learned from hanging out down there, and you got there earlier than me. You were there bright and early at 5 a.m. when they first started to move that thing. I, I gave myself another hour. Um, you didn't miss much. <laughs> yeah, I got there and I was like, oh, I want to get this picture of it like from the other bridge as it goes over that bridge. And then I got there. I'm like, that thing's moving a little more quickly than I thought. So I had to like trot to get to the center of the steel bridge to get the shot straight across. And it was, yeah, you mentioned the fog. It was kind of cool to see this almost with no backdrop because the fog had just kind of like shaded, grayed everything out. So it's just like the granary, the bridge. A little bit of the water and then like nothing in the background. It was kind of a eerie, cool scene. The scene down there, though, was 
just listening to people, and I know you ran into some people who were like, just dump it in the bay or waste of taxpayer money and that kind of thing. Yeah, I was I was following it across the bridge. So I was with the supporters most of the time. But you were hanging out at the coffee shop down there, too. And you got to hear a bunch of different people come in and, and talk about their opinions, right? Yeah. And it was quite a quite a day just hanging out down there and hearing someone come in like, oh, that's just a waste of money. I can't believe the city's spending money on that. And it made me just think that, Andrew, maybe we should just drive around the county and get huge speakers and blast our podcasts about the granary out there um, because we have written so many stories. There have been so many trees killed trying to clarify this issue. Um, we have wasted so much of our breath. I shouldn't say wasted, but we've used a lot of our breath trying to get some clarity on this. And whether you're for or against the granary, like base that on a foundation of facts. They're not hard to find. There's this thing called the Google and you can go you know, to the, the Google, Google and you can type in phrases and it will surface results. And so like you could go there and maybe you could search like granary costs or uh, Sturgeon Bay granary. And you know what? I bet you a few different articles would surface that could explain it all for you before you spout out on Facebook or before you just start shouting into the ether. You could go, hmm, you know what? I care about this. One way or the other, I'm going to do some research and get some facts. Well, Miles, I, I don't bet wanna... they're available. I'm not. I'm, I might be. I might be an idiot. But I don't want to spend too available. much time on it. But why don't we do just a very quick lightning round to just kind of address some of the major questions in the air? So first up, uh, how much did this cost taxpayers? Okay, I'll try this, knowing that it's not falling into anybody's heads because I must have a very silent voice because I'm apparently still not sinking in. But uh, zero. Okay. Zero dollars. Uh, and that's, I'm not trying to preach in favor of the granary. It's just that the city, to their credit, if you are an anti-granary person, your city has done a very good job of crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's to make sure that they absolutely don't pay anything for this. Anything. <laughs> so, okay, uh, well, who did pay for it to come across? An anonymous donor through the Sturgeon Bay Historical Society. Okay, and who's getting paid to have the granary moved? The moving company. Okay. And where are they based out of? Um, I'm actually not positive, but it's a lot of Door County folks who are involved in that team. Okay. But so Devoot, I think is how you say it, Devoot Movers. Right. So uh, so you just mentioned that there's a bunch of Door County residents who are involved in the moving of it. So would, yes. you, would you say that it's fair to say that a lot of the money that is going towards moving it across the bridge is going back into Door County pockets? That's a fair assumption, yes. Okay, so it kind of seems like uh, maybe it does have a little bit of an economic impact. It I mean, actually might. I never even thought of it that way, but yeah, it could. <laughs> well, Christy Weber actually posted on Facebook, um, on our post of the video that we made of the granary coming over, uh, kind of laying that argument out that this didn't cost taxpayers money. If anything, it put more money into the taxpayers' pockets to then, you know, spend up here in Door County. Even the people who don't live here came up here and were buying food and gas in the county. All of that stuff has an impact. Yeah. And I think, again, criticize the look of it. Maybe you hate granaries. Maybe you hate that location. Maybe you think that there should be a motel. Uh, maybe you like strip malls and would like that there. That's fine. But I just hate how lazy some people are. And 
the, the information is just so readily available. Right. I would say um, at this point, I am not pro-granary and I'm not anti-granary, but I am anti-ignorance. And I just want <laughs> to give as much context for this as possible because no matter what side of the field you're on about this thing, it is tiring to see the same ignorant argument being spouted in the discourse about this right. when the actual conversation could be productive if people had the background knowledge to, you know, have the debate. Yeah. And sitting in Glass Coffee House and listening to people come in, ask the barista about it and then like immediately get angry. And I, I watched this barista talk to people and be like, I'm, I didn't want to get into it. You just asked me a question. I'll give you my answer. But, you know, either way, I hope you enjoy your coffee. Have a great day. We can talk about this without like getting ticked. But like, I'm just telling you what I know to be a fact. And then um, we can debate it. But like, it was it was kind of frustrating even hearing that. And then some people would come in. It wasn't everybody. There was like every other person. Some person would come in and like, oh, man, that's so cool. Next person would come in and waste the money. Um, in any case, I guess moving it forward, what's next for the granary? It's it's sitting close to its final place. They're testing the pilings in there. And pilings are like a kind of a, another way to say foundation. Um, it's probably not the perfect way, but like basically pilings are in there because that is filled lake bed. So you have to put these pilings down to create a stable foundation. Um, they're the old pilings from where the granary used to sit. They're going to test those and find out if they're still stable and can be used. Um, and then if they are, then they can start making the foundation. And that granary might be back on its foundation by the fall sometime. And then restoration efforts continue. And then by next summer, they, you, your basic level of restoration will likely be completed for a structure that's sound that people can go into. Wouldn't necessarily have any displays or, or a lot of this other stuff, but it would just be a sound structure. A next level, Christy Weber from the Sturgeon Bay Historical Society said, would be, all right, now let's see how much money we still have from that donation or if we have to raise more money. But that next step might be, okay, now we can build some additions to it that maybe would have more windows or an entryway or something like that, or possibly build an elevator so people could go up. But all that, their first objective, they said, is to just get the basic restoration and create a public space and then see where they're at. They still plan to do grant writing, a lot of fundraising, different things, but that's like what they have guaranteed to the city. Now, there is one thing that could happen. The West Waterfront Ad Hoc Committee has been working on a plan for, I think it's like almost a year now. And in mid-July, they'll release this plan for the West Waterfront that I am told will likely recommend that the granary be located closer to the Oregon Street Bridge to create kind of some view corridors for other development there. I, I know Christy and the Historical Society have scoffed at that so far. A, because if they did that, they'd have to build new foundation and definitely put down new pilings, which then probably the city would have to pay for if they wanted it moved. Um, they could negotiate with the historical society or something, but like the, if I'm the historical society, I'm probably saying, all right, yeah, we'll put it there, but you pay for it. I don't believe Christy will say, we'll put it there, you pay for it. I, I believe Christy will say it has to go here. So that's going to be interesting when that decision comes down. Um, how that will play out. Right. And then end game for all of this is that uh, in the same way that Steelbridge Songfest celebrates saving the Steel Bridge, uh, we will we will eventually be able to attend old granary days where they move a inflatable bounce house shaped like the granary across the bridge every year. 
That actually is a great idea. Yeah, you know what, Christy, if you're listening, you can have that one for free. <laughs> so why don't we move on from the Granary and we'll move up the peninsula a little bit because we do still have a lot of cool news to talk about. Uh, why don't we jump into Sister Bay? So we talked a little bit about uh, public transportation in Door County and Sister Bay is launching their shuttle again this weekend. Yeah, they tried it in 2017 with a trolley service that was free that kind of had sort of like unscheduled pickups, but it would just kind of go around and you could hop on the trolley and flag it down and it would take you to some parking spots. Um, so you could like park and ride, but those spots were not readily used and it wasn't a very well-used service. So this year, this, uh, at the end of last year, the village of Sister Bay bought a, a kind of like mini, mini bus shuttle bus, 14-passenger van of sorts, from the county of Door, and looked at uh, investigating how to maybe get that shuttle going again if there was a better way to do it. And they worked with Sophie Parr, who is a public transportation professional who used to work for the city of Duluth and is working with, uh, I think, Egg Harbor on some of their transportation planning. Not transportation, but uh, public planning for their uh, new village streetscape and things like that. And she came up with routes and a set schedule that will now, one of, a couple of things that it, they're hoping it does better. You can count on being picked up every 20 minutes at each of the stops. So it's not like, well, I don't know when it's coming. It's like every 20 minutes. Then it will run from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. during the days on, on weekends throughout the summer, Thursday through Saturday, and then uh, also on weekends in the fall. But then it'll also run in the evening. The old shuttle didn't run in the evening. And this is part of Sister Bay's effort to alleviate concerns about drunk driving. They have a lot of beer gardens, a lot of bars, restaurants. they got a great dining scene up there. And the village has said, like, all right, it's on our responsibility to at least try to figure out ways to get people home safely and give them ways to, to enjoy our town without driving. They've been big proponents of Lyft and Uber and recruiting drivers and trying to get those services in the county. And they also are trying now to get the shuttle going. So people could park and ride at Shotco. Now, obviously, if you park and ride, you still have to drive home from where you park. But in the evenings, one of their centerpieces is, all right, we're going to stop at some of these centerpiece lodging facilities. So at least the people who are staying at lodging facilities can just hop on the shuttle. And that will run until 1 a.m. every half hour in the evenings. So I applaud them. Uh, Louise Hausen and... Dave Lenow and the Village of Sister Bay are have, have led this effort. And what I like about how they've gone about it over the last few years is Door County, a lot of times people try something or they start investigating a problem. And like, That'll never work. And they throw their hands up or see, it didn't work. Nobody used it. They're going, all right, we tried this thing. Maybe didn't get the use we wanted. Let's try tweaking some things and give it a shot again. And it's not free to do this. You know, the village has put in 20 grand, um, different uh, supporters of it. Um, not necessarily sponsors, but like the business community has put in an additional 17000 to give this a shot. Um, if it works, it could be a great model for other villages in a wider transportation network. If it doesn't, at least we know. I have some questions. Uh, I might put you on the spot a little bit about some Do of it. these, but I have some questions just to try to flesh this out because this is a really exciting idea to me. Uh, first one would be, in terms of parking and alleviating the congestion in the towns, how have similar models worked in the past? So I'm thinking like when the trolley shuttles people during Fearball. Um, is that something that is, is used enough to make a difference, do you think? And do you think that this will make a difference in the overall parking congestion? 
I think it would, like, specifically for festival weekends, because people look at those a little differently, right? You know, on your day-to-day, an average Saturday, going into town, you're not thinking, like, about the congestion and how you're going to beat it. On a festival weekend, like, Uncork does a shuttle. Uh, Beer Fest, we do a shuttle. Wine Fest, we do a shuttle. Half Marathon, we shuttle most of our participants in and out of the park. People know that. You promote it and it's specific to the festival, and it does alleviate a lot of parking congestion. I mean, take the half marathon, for instance. We have 2,500 participants. There's only, I think, like five or 600 parking spaces. So we still, we manage to, to do that with no problem because of the shuttle. So you're, you're saying, all right, we might be taking as many as 1,000 cars out of the equation. Um, that works for those very specific events. Day-to-day, that's the struggle that Door County's always had, is getting people to... Uh, use alternative means. I mean, there are a lot of people who work in restaurants probably less than a half mile from their home who still drive there. They don't, they don't walk, they don't take a bike. Um, that would alleviate a lot of it. So if the shuttle then, even for some of those people, if, if it happened to alleviate or if one employee from each restaurant or one employee from each store in Sister Bay, or even if like 20 total in Sister Bay employees use the shuttle. That's 20 parking spots in the downtown core that then get opened up. That would be great if some of the businesses could encourage anybody from their staff who might live up behind the pig or something like that just not to drive into the downtown. So second question that I have, uh, and and this one, this one's more focused on the trying to alleviate the, the, the drunk driving. Which mm-hmm. I, th- I think when, when you first said that they were running from like 11 to 5, I was like, oh, but they're missing a huge opportunity. But they're not. They're going to be running during the evenings. Um, when, when you drive to a bar, do you feel like most people are self-limiting in terms of saying like, hey, I have to drive home. I'm going to have one beer and that's it. And do you think that by shuttling people into town, and having people be like, hey, I can get back to my apartment or I can get back to my hotel tonight just on the shuttle. I'm going to go crazy and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink till I'm sloppy. Do you think that that is something that we should think about in the equation at all in this? I'm guessing just based on what I've seen in Sister Bay anyway, I think that, that the latter is happening no matter what. Um, not as bad as a lot of people would think. Um, I, I live a mile outside town. I'm in there a lot. I, I, I don't see like the drunken buffoonery that some people seem to think. Um, but I think there may be a little bit more of that, but I, I think gen- like there are a certain crowd that is self-limiting. But I think what you're really doing is just like eliminating that, that decision-making standpoint from a lot of people. Right. A lot of people go out and they think they're going to be self-limiting and then get caught up in it and they're like, well, I have one more or I'll have two more. And then they're like, well, I'm on that edge. Um... I'm going to try this behind the wheel. And they don't, they're like, I think I'm good. Right. And maybe this is that option for those folks. You know, like when I lived in the city, you just, you just never thought about driving. You're just, the options were all there and you just, it eliminates the drunk driving. Mm-hmm. I mean, I shouldn't say eliminates, but it, for a lot of people it does. It just eliminates the decision. And hopefully for a lot of visitors to Sister Bay, maybe this just eliminates the decision. And especially if they're doing it every 30 minutes. You know, the hop and stop worked at one point, but that was, much larger intervals, intervals. So it was harder to bank on it if you were like, you know what, I'm going to go out. I might have one. I might have five. I'm going to drive, though, because I might just have the one. Well, 
and that that pickup might not be around for two hours. But now if you know it's every 30 minutes and you're staying at, say, like the Churchill Inn and you want to go to JJ's but, and now you know like, oh, 30, every 30 minutes between now and one, I'll just do that. I don't even have to think about it. And the big thing is if the hotels and the front desk make sure people know about this. And I think it's to their benefit and knowing the level of service a lot of places provide, I think they will. And that's this is going to be a big proving ground, I think, for public transportation as a whole. Um, either either it's going to prove it works or it's going to prove it doesn't. Right. And from my point of view, I would rather have a couple more sloppy drunken buffoons at 11 o'clock at night than I would have those same people getting in their vehicle and driving home at 11 o'clock Absolutely. at night. Absolutely. So looking forward to seeing this implemented. Uh, is this the first weekend that they're doing it this year? This is, yep. Awesome. The 29th is its first run. Great. They're well, looking uh, for drivers too. Louise Housen at the Sister Bay Advancement Association, I think her email is coordinator at cometosisterbay.com. I think that's right. But um, otherwise, go to come to sisterbay.com, find her, and uh, shoot her an email if you want to drive that bus. Cool. Well, I hope that they have a bunch of people try it out because what a great stress test for it being yeah. the 4th of July week. <laughs> yeah, right. So with that, why don't we take a break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about Shopco closing and what that's going to mean for Northern Door. They call themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Pankin Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. So, Miles, Shopco is closed officially now, right, in Sister Bay? Dunzo. It, uh, did it push its closing weekend back further and further? Because I feel like I remember it being like, we're done at the end of May. And then it just kept going. I think it was, you know, they, they always kind of used loosely like June, whether that meant early June or end of June. And I think that just gave them leeway. Did you take advantage of any of those great deals? I kept going in there, and I think what they did is as soon as people knew it was closing and they started saying, all right, we're liquidating, then they just jacked them up to regular price and then knocked them down like 10%. And so I would go in there and I'm like, I think this is pretty much more expensive than it was before you started this. Yeah, that was for sure a thing. There were certain items that I was like, oh, I know what this costs normally. They've added, you know, $10 to the price, and now they're slicing it by 60%. So you're still getting a deal, but it's not an awesome deal yeah. like it might look like. Until probably like, there was probably one week where the prices lined up with the remaining stock in such a way where it was like, hey, there's really great deals and then people flooded in and totally yeah. wiped the store out. Yeah, like June 10th, I think it was somewhere around there was that breaking point. Yeah, because the last time that I went in, there was nothing. They had all of the, like the aisles were for sale. Like those actual like... Oh, sure. Yeah. The actual infrastructure. Yeah. So, uh, but then I also went in, there was a really good deal on candles and my wife bought like 30 candles. So, uh, your house is a house of Zen. Yep. Uh, but now it's, it's gone. And what does that mean moving forward? Um, well, you know, it means a couple of things. One for the employees, 
I, Jim Lundstrom went and talked to a few of the employees on their final day on the on Sunday night, and we got some pictures that are in this week's Pulse. And a lot of them found landing place spots. They have new jobs. But one thing they didn't get is severance. And other shop co-locations that closed earlier got severance. And even though they were contractually obligated to do so, the investment firm that has owned ShopCo for the last 10 years or so has said they're not going to pay it. Toys R Us did the same thing a couple of years ago. Um, the employees actually won a lawsuit and, and won, I think it was like $20 million that went into a fund to get dispersed amongst those employees. So that's kind of the route that's going on with ShopCo now is they're trying to do um, work on a lawsuit to try and get the company to, to pay their obligation. Um, it's a sad song that we've heard uh, a lot of times from companies over the last 20 years as you, as you get these smaller, first start out as not mom and pops and then become like regional chains. Once the investment firm comes in, that detachment from the employees occurs and that obligation disappears. Let's say the pulse went defunct tomorrow. Dave Elliott and myself, we would feel an enormous obligation to take care of our employees. We know them. We see them every day. We see how that would affect them. The investors never see those people at ShopCo. And that's part of the problem with like the box store approach to capitalism. And yes, it gives us our great low prices, but it really screws over people a lot. So another thing uh, that goes away with ShopCo, but this was something that we had been talking about for months in advance, was the pharmacy that was located up there. A mm-hmm. um, couple different things happened to try to figure out what's going to happen with the people who's had prescriptions there and where they could get their their prescriptions after ShopCo closed. Um, I know that Walgreens purchased the prescriptions. So yes. all the prescriptions were funneled through Walgreens. Uh, so you could pick them up in Sturgeon Bay, or they have a mail order system where they could just deliver them to your mailbox. And not immediate, but like, yeah, a couple days. Right. So some of the challenges with that are the immediacy, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people who are relying on the pharmacy the most are probably the people with less mobility mm-hmm. than others. So to get down to Sturgeon Bay from Sister Bay or north, that's, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, mm-hmm. especially during the summer. So for some people, I'm sure that that's working out just fine. Uh, If you live in Egg Harbor and you're going to Sister Bay to get your prescriptions, it's about the same amount of time to head down to Sturgeon Bay to pick up your prescriptions. Right. Uh, But there's also been a new pharmacy that's opened up in Sister Bay, right? Yeah, the Hometown Pharmacy, I think is, if I have the name correct. Um, That's in Country Walk Shops? Correct. Okay. And if you're getting a prescription filled, I think your service level and time frame is probably the same as anywhere else. But for in, in my case this morning, um, I was looking for eye drops because my allergies have been killing me for the last couple of days. Um, and I, I've heard from a lot of people that it's really bad right now. Uh, but that doesn't open until 9 a.m. The one thing about the Shopco is they were open early and late. So you could do a lot of things before and after work. This is a first world problem. I shouldn't even complain about this. But like the nine to five job, makes it like really hard to get to the bank and really hard to get to uh, a pharmacy that, that keeps those same hours unless you're taking time off of work. So that is one thing you lose with the shop code is just that extra convenience. So that's the pharmacy, that's the employees. What about the building? What's next for that actual location? Um, well, it's, it's an interesting thing because like I think the shop code lease goes through the end of the year. So the owner of the building, I believe it's still owned by the Christ family who had Christ uh, grocery store. And um, E. Taylor rents out a portion of it, and then Shopco had a portion of that building. So that building, as big as Shopco was, like that wasn't the whole building. Right. And then uh, 
so that there's not a ton of pressure to put something else in there until that lease runs up. But then it's a question of what might want to go into a space that big. I mean, there's not a lot of pull for retail of that size anymore. So maybe some people have speculated that maybe a dollar store would be interested in that space. I hope not. Um, too many Americans buy their groceries, many out of necessity, from dollar stores now. It's like one of the larger grocery chains. It's just like Dollar General. And the problem with that is it's all crap food. It's all like perishable items and it's a terrible way to feed people. Um, but uh, Well, and I think that that's the big question too is, is what is going to move in there? Is it something that's going to try to fulfill the same need that ShopCo was fulfilling or is it something that's going to be completely different? Could be something totally different. Like maybe e-tailer needs more space. Maybe some other type of warehouse situation ends up taking that spot. I'm trying to think if there's any other speculation I've heard. I And, and there's... There really isn't. I do know that that particular Shopco, I've been told that it was one of their most profitable Shopcos in the entire state of the Shopco hometown variety, um, bringing in millions of dollars of revenue every year. Hopefully that revenue is now being sprinkled out over Ace Hardware, Nelson's Hardware, um, Hammersmith TV, where, you know, each of those, the combination of those different places actually offers most of the products available. Maybe maybe short on the clothing end, but most of the products that are available at Shopco. Problem is they're in three different locations spread out between Fish Creek and Sister Bay, and the hours are not nearly the same. I know Nelson's in recent years has added Sunday hours, which is great because I've always wondered that why why hardware stores for the longest time were closed on Sunday. It's like if you work during the week, the only time you can do like the kind of jobs, the lawn care and the home care that requires you to get your stuff at the hardware store is on the weekend and then they would always be closed or have shortened hours. But I'm not in that business. Maybe that makes sense. What do you think, just in your opinion, uh, what do you think would be better if something, if a, if a big name came in and fulfilled that same niche that Shopco was fulfilling or if something totally different moved in and like you said, pushed some of Shopco's business out and around and into the community into different areas? I definitely prefer the latter. And in my mind, I really hope that the owners of Nelson's Lampert's, uh, Hammersmith, and Ace Hardware, those types of places, the pig, I, I really hope that they're they're picking their brains and trying to figure out how do we take advantage of this. Because like I said, that's millions of dollars sitting there on the retail table for someone to grab. And most of those places can't fulfill everything. But through a combination of getting the word out, marketing, um, and just maybe introducing no, new products or things like that. New hours. I think the hours, like hours to count on is huge. Like on deck, the nice thing there with a place like on deck is for my, most of my adult life, you could be like, all right, I need to, oh, I forgot to get a birthday gift. And a lot of times you'd be like, oh, I'd have to run to Sturgeon Bay to find something that's open. You're like, wait, no, on deck's open and they've done it for years. So now you just know that like every day of the year on deck's going to be open until at least like 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. all year round. So you know you can stop in there and, and find something. That kind of thing is what those other stores have to figure out a way to provide, and but also not eat it on the labor end of things. Right. Well, and with Piggly Wiggly's big expansion, I don't know that we've actually talked about Piggly Wiggly's expansion after it had finished, because we had talked about it a bunch in, in progress. It's amazing. It is incredible. It's a totally different store. And like when you walk in, it doesn't feel like you're in Door County anymore. It feels like you've went to you know, any other big grocery store in any other place because it, it's it's huge and they've got everything and it feels finally like Northern Door has a really awesome grocery store. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, if you're up in Sister Bay, 
and Miles, you can probably speak to this, the convenience of being able to get in there and not have to avoid it because, you know, you're going to bump carts with everybody else. Right. Must feel really great. I mean, it, it actually changes your psyche in a way. I mean, like take Main Street Market. That's been a great store for 30, I think it's over 30 years now, or maybe right about 30 years. But if you live in Sister Bay, like right in the village, Egg Harbor in the summertime is a 25-minute drive. If you live in if Gills, you're lucky. If you're lucky in the summertime, it's right. 25 minutes. And if you're in Gills Rock, I mean, that's, that's a 40-minute drive. So it's not really like a, an option of like, well, I'd, I'd go to the pig or I'd go to Main Street. You're basically like, well, if maybe if I'm going through Egg Harbor, I stop there. Now, where that hits you is like on your day-to-day and you're like, oh, I need to go up there and get something. I just need like milk or I just need eggs. And you're mentally would go, oh, it's like preparing for battle. You're like, can I, do I really need the eggs right now? or can that wait? Because I just don't want to go through that onslaught of just trying to weave my way through and, and then get, get stuck. And now that, that whole feeling is gone. Like now in the, with the, the new setup of the pig, you don't feel any of that hesitation or fear factor if, you, <laughs> if I'd go that far. Right. Well, and that's the thing about that location now. So it's like Sister Bay and North, they've got their grocery situation sorted. It's the, it's the other stuff, you know. When you're trying to pick up a TV every day, you know, where are you going to go? <laughs> My day-to-day TV needs. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what happens with that property. Uh, just if something big comes into it or if it totally, because like you said, if E-Taylor, you know, pushes in and takes up more space, then that's no longer like, you know, a place to go. So then everybody else definitely picks up the bill in that way. Mm-hmm. But if something comes in that is, you know, better or worse than ShopGo, that's going to change things a little bit. And if it's and if it's not a retail store, you know that's a large parking lot just sitting there. I hate parking lots. Like we could talk about the everyone's perceived parking problem in Door County, and there are maybe little areas where there are. But I hate building infrastructure for like the nine days a year when parking is actually an issue. Right. Like, um, but yeah, now you have that. That's a really massive paved parking spot. Well, and it might be a really great shuttle pickup too. And, and in it will future. be. Well, there you go. There you go. Park and ride from Chopco. Uh, not Chopco. The, the former Shopko. The former the Shopko. The ghost of Shopko. The, the ghost of Shopko. Well, there's a, there's a chapter closed and a new chapter on the horizon. Uh, I don't know if Shopko necessarily needs all that poeticism. But no, probably not. Thanks for chatting with me. Uh, I'll see you again next weekend. Thank you, Adrian. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit doorcountypulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.